Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of abundant life according to God's economy. He says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so if you try to save your life by whatever means you think, then you're going to lose it. You cannot be saved any other way. You cannot be transformed any other way. You cannot be pleasing to God or I any other way. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The payment for sin has already been met, with the Savior's blood, that is. Thus, that makes eternal life a free gift of God's grace and offered to whosoever believes. So are there any costs to being a follower to the one who gave his life? Well, coming up, Pastor Xavier explains the simple truth about being a disciple of Christ has more to do with denying yourself than anything you have to offer. Let's listen. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. He says, And when he had called the people to him, and his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Notice that he says, first of all, whosoever desires to come after me. Everyone is eligible for discipleship. No one is excluded. Everyone is eligible. I'm so glad for that. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever will. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John closes the book of Revelation in Revelation 22, 17. Listen. And the Spirit and the bride says, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. No one is exempt. No one is excluded. Now, the first requirement, note it well, one must deny himself. The word deny is to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and interest. Our biggest problem is that we are so interested in ourselves. And so one must deny himself. That's not too popular today. And we actually, instead of driving them to the cross to deny themselves and to crucify their old man, we actually, uh, we, we cater to the old man without knowing it. And that's why we have so much carnality in the church of Jesus Christ today. Let's be realistic, people. If just a congregation of people were sold out to the Lord of just 50 or 100, what would be taking place? We saw what it did with 12, 120. Secondly, one must take up his cross. The cross was a symbol, an instrument of death. Make no mistake of that. When a man took up his cross and he began to walk up that road to the place of execution, he was under no delusions of grandeur. 
He never thought he'd be coming back. This is what Jesus is asking you and me to pick up. Now we've done marvelous things to the cross. We've studded it with diamonds and gems and gold. We've hung it on our buildings. But I don't think we understand what the cross really means. Because if we did, we would fall on our face before the cross for the horror that it represents. For it was there on the tree that the price was paid. And it cost God his son. That's the cross. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I live as a crucified man. What is he saying? My death is slow. My death is painful. My death at times is embarrassing and shameful. But I'm following the steps of my Lord. You see, as long as the gospel doesn't shame us, we're okay. As long as it doesn't cost us, we're okay. As long as it's not painful, it's okay. I'll take up my cross. But if it starts hurting, then I put it down. I don't pick it up. And so we love to lean to the positive. We love to lean to the benefits of discipleship. But we never talk or live or yield to the cost of discipleship as we do to the benefits. You see, the only way you will take up your cross is first to lose sight of yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Thirdly, one must follow Christ. Follow me. But the idea is not to follow behind the individual, but to accompany the person in fellowship. Now, you may say, well, I'm denying myself, and I'm picking up my cross. But the evidence that you're not doing it out of the right attitude is that you are following behind Jesus Christ and you're really accusing him. You're really murmuring. You're really complaining. And you're really saying, boy, you know, look at my dedication to you. Look what I've sacrificed. And you're really not fellowshipping with him. You're not following him. You're behind him. And you're murmuring, complaining. That's not what this word means. It means that you come alongside him and you're walking down the same road in agreement. Did not Jesus say that he would send the Holy Spirit who would come alongside us to help us do the work, not to do it for us? The Holy Spirit wasn't going to be in front of us and go, hey, come on. Or say, hey, you go ahead, I'll, I'll catch up with you later on. Or did he say, hey, you just stay 10 steps behind me because I'm holy? No. Right beside us to help us do the work, to help us what? Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. You see, I need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. I can't do it otherwise. And so I need to follow Jesus. And that one, that koinonia, in obedience to the word. I don't like obeying all the word. I love teaching the word. <laughs> But there's times when the word 
I don't want to obey it because I want vengeance. I want to see them hurt. That's evidence of love for X. Obedience to, the, to prayer life. To pray. To be in that fellowship with him. Jesus said that he called us friends in John 15, 14. Because we abided in him and his word abided in us. John 15, 7. That doesn't mean that we're always right on. That doesn't mean that we're always flying high. That means that we're working through it and we're walking next to him and depending on him. It's hurtful. It's a slow death to cross, remember. And, and we look at all these negative things and we say, well, I must not be born again. I must not be doing it right. But all of that negative stuff is more evidence that we are doing it right. You understand? See, we communicate a false gospel. And so we hear of those, oh, yeah, I just triumph and no, I have no problems and I just have faith, I this and that. And so we go, hmm, okay. So we don't want to share nothing because people are going to think that we're not right on. The church today communicates a very plastic, plastic church. Not a real church. Now, Jesus gave us an example to follow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you know that Peter speaks about sufferings much in this epistle. I would recommend 1 Peter to you at least once a month. It's only five little chapters. You shouldn't have a problem getting through it. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And he's been talking about sufferings, afflictions, persecutions. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And he goes on to speak how he bore our sins on the cross. In chapter 4, verse 19, he says we are to commit to him ourselves as a faithful creator. The context is in our sufferings. We have a faithful high priest who was able to be touched with our infirmities, Hebrews says. Why? Because he was tempted in all ways like we are. And therefore we must understand that we not only have God making intercession for us, but we have the man, Christ Jesus, who experienced all things you will ever experience and more. And who experienced all the testing, the pressures, the pain, the sorrows, the heartache to the degree and extreme that you and I will never get close to. And so this is the cost of discipleship. This is what biblical discipleship. We always hear the benefits of discipleship. And we don't hear much about the cost of discipleship. Now, whatever gets in the way of Jesus, refining, transforming, molding and shaping you, you must deny yourself of it. It can be from A to Z. It can be a habit. It can be a hobby. It can be sin that grips a hold of you in an area. It can be your wife, your children, your job, your money. Whatever is mastering control of your life, that you must deny. And the only way you can do that is, once you deny yourself, is to pick up that cross and nail it to the cross yourself. Crucify it. 
Reckon the dead. How often? As often as you need to. Now he gives us some reasons for these requests. In verse 35, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. First reason for these requirements. First, because God is interested in saving men's souls. Verse 35. The word life is suki. It means soul, not bios for physical life. God is more interested in your soul than your physical life. He could care less about your physical life. He has the eternal future in mind. There's another problem why we don't deny ourselves because we are living for the present. And as we see ourselves get older quicker, we get more desperate. I'm running out of time. I got to do it. I got experience. I can't live like this. And so I try to save my life and I end up losing it. The word lose there is to destroy fully, to perish. But notice that he says, whoever loses his life for my sake or the gospel's sake, they're synonymous. You cannot separate between the person of Christ and the message of Christ. They're one. And so if you try to save your life by whatever means you think, then you're going to lose it. These requirements are because God is interested in saving man's souls. You cannot be saved any other way. You cannot be transformed any other way. You cannot be pleasing to God or I any other way. It's impossible. But he gives us another reason in verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Second reason? Because there is nothing of equivalent value in this world like a soul. You take all the world, all the money, all the gold, all the silver, everything in it. And God says, that's but dust compared to one soul. Now, we have lost the consciousness and of the value of human life today. Every 21 seconds, a baby is aborted. And we have been deceived thinking that we have come out of some gobbledygook that just by happenstance came together in some confused, simple order and evolved to a very complex order. When everything in the universe denies such a hypothesis. Everything goes from order to disorder. That is what the evidence is. And since we have believed that and we believe that we evolved and then we crawled onto the shore and then we came from the monkey, then we feel that living is all there is and after that it's all over with. So you got to grab it while you can. But the problem is that God says that there is nothing of value in this world that can be compared to the value of a soul. And I think he signed it in blood. Verse 37 is a natural progression. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If this takes place, verse 36, 
and the man dies trying to save his life, his soul, but in reality loses it. Then verse 37, the third reason is because there is no way of a man can buy back his soul. Once he dies, he gets no second chance. You remember in Luke 16, 19 through 21, the rich man Lazarus? The rich man dying sumptuously every day, gourmet meals, all kinds of nice clothes, luxury, comfort. Lazarus would be placed at the door of his gate, and there he would wait for the crumbs, and the dogs would come and lick his sores and give him some relief. The rich man was only steps away from helping the man. But he died. Both of them died. And from torment, the rich man said, Father Abraham, have Lazarus dip his finger in cool water to cool my tongue, for I'm burning in these flames. What could he give in exchange for his soul? Could he buy his soul back? Never. Once you die without Jesus Christ, you are eternally lost. No second chance. He says, son, there's a gulf between you and he. And once you have gone there, you cannot come here. And once he has come here, he can't go there. Which of us does not have regrets in life? Which of us would not do so many things different if we had to do it all over again? But we can't. So God has given us grace and mercy and peace. And a promise that we're new creatures and that we're to start new and go forward. But now as Christians, we're not to live with regret. We're to live abiding in Jesus Christ. Once you die, that's it. All the money in the world cannot be exchanged for your soul. You have made your bargain. You have closed the deal. Whatever or whoever you are living for today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, when you die, it will only seal your decision eternally. There's no such thing as purgatory. No one can pray you out. There's no such thing as limbo. When you die, you're instantly present before the Lord or you're instantly present in torment. No other choice. No other option. These are good reasons to count the cost of discipleship. But there's a fourth and last that he gives to us in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, I'm him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The fourth reason is because Jesus is returning to set up the kingdom and judge all men. That's heavy. Now we will never be judged for our sins. When the rapture happens and you and I are removed from this earth, we will go to what is called the Bema Seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Romans 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.10. And we will be judged for all we have done according to our motives. And even if we lose all reward, we will be saved even as by fire because we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. But the judgment that he's talking about here is the judgment of those who have died without Christ throughout all the ages. When Jesus returns to set up the kingdom and we come back with him in Revelation 19 on horses, 
to wipe out those in the valley of Megiddo who are there to try to stop him from setting up the kingdom. The first thing that Jesus will do is to set up the judgment of the nations. In Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, you can read that on your own. He says he will separate the sheep from the goats. That judgment there, we believe, will be the judgment of the nations as to how they dealt, how they conducted themselves regarding the nation of Israel, fulfilling Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God says, those that bless you, Abraham, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. Revelations 20, verse 6, speaks about the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the believer. Since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the saints have been raising from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5 says, The many you die, you're instantly present before the Lord. Jesus rose from the grave, and it says, Matthew 27, Many of the souls of the Old Testament saints were seen walking through the streets. He descended to the lowest part. He ascended up on high, led captivity captive. Ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, every believer that dies, immediately he goes before the presence of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first resurrection is an ongoing, continuous resurrection. The second resurrection... Is the second death. You don't want to be there. That's at the end of the thousand years when God will grab all those who are in the grave, Sheol, Hades, whatever word you want to use, all those who have died without accepting Christ, and he will bring them before the white throne judgment, open the books, the book of Revelation says, and judge them according to their deeds. Why? For a second chance? Never. You die without Jesus Christ, you're condemned eternally. Then God will bring you up in the white throne judgment and sentence you and cast you into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. The Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, death, and hell will be cast in there. Big place. And if there's any reason why you should consider the cost of discipleship, it's because he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. No believer will ever be before the white throne judgment. Why will they be at the white throne judgment? Why will they be judged? Simple. Don't lose it. Watch. They did not deny themselves. They denied the cross. And they denied Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before the sinful and adulterous generation. They denied the Christ. They denied the message. They did not deny themselves. And if you are not denying yourself, then you're denying Christ. And the message, it's heavy. And so we need to consider the cost of discipleship far beyond just the benefits of discipleship. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I would plead with you from the bottom of my heart for you to repent and to be born again because the judge of all the earth is coming. And you will have to give an account in that day. You will have no excuses. You will only be sentenced to eternal darkness, separated from God. And if you're a believer and you're not denying yourself, and you're not picking up your cross and following Jesus, and all you're doing is murmuring and complaining and having your eyes on yourself, then you need to repent. You need to ask God to show you exactly what this message means to you. Meditate on the cost of discipleship. Know that you can't do it in yourself. 
but know that if God has called you to do it, He will equally enable you to fulfill it. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Him. Pastor Xavier Reese drawing the important simple truths out of this familiar passage of Mark chapter 7 for our study today. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message titled The Cost of Discipleship are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply The Cost of Discipleship, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 